Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality, with an emphasis on kink, BDSM, and poly relationships. This week, we're going to talk about dominance, dominant behavior, dominant personality types, and my own personal dominant philosophy. Before we get into that, I want to thank our newest Patreon subscribers, Kit and Angeline. A big thank you to Kit, who is our current top of the leaderboard. So if that's important to you guys and you want to compete with Kit for the number one place, don't let me stop you. Kidding aside, I thank you all so very much. And it's not just the big donors. Every single donor is important to me. And I try to give the same time and attention to every one of my Patreon supporters. Because I've always had the philosophy of, you know, many hands, light work. And if everybody can give a dollar or two dollars, that would be awesome. But for you guys that are spending more on that for month, I really appreciate that. And I am going to institute a tiering system. I want it to be fair to all my current subscribers, especially the low dollar amount subscribers. So I still am trying to work out exactly what I'm going to base those tiers off of, the levels of those tiers, and what will be available to each tier. What I can say is, if you are a current Patreon subscriber, you will not miss out on anything you're currently getting. I will add new things at different tiers, and I'm still trying to figure out what that's going to be. You know, the Patreon is still very new for me. I'm finding my way. And I cannot thank you guys enough for reaching out and supporting. Um, check your messages, because I do reach out to all my new Patreon supporters, and I think that those messages might go to your spam folder. So, you know, stop by Patreon and check your messages out. Give me some feedback on how I can make that site better for you. For those of you who are watching the YouTube version of this podcast, you'll see that everything looks different. And that's because I was finally able to afford a much better camera. And I hope you can see the difference in the camera, the fact that I can have much more natural, relaxed lighting. And I think it looks a lot better. Uh, I welcome your feedback on that. Thank you very much to my Patreon supporters who have helped make this possible. Doesn't cover it, but it sure helps. If you are a podcast listener, I suggest you head over to YouTube and check out the video cast. You might find it interesting. Sometimes it's obviously easier just to listen to a podcast on the go. I feel like the way that I do these podcasts, sometimes being able to see how I'm saying something is important to listening to how I say something. I try to be very demonstrative with my voice and very clear with my voice, but I've had people tell me, and I believe this myself, that seeing me say it, seeing where my emphasis is, seeing how I pause or the look on my face when I say something can give a lot of nuance to what I'm saying. So if you're interested, head over to YouTube, um, same search criteria, you know, Wicked Wednesdays, Wicked Fellow, Wicked Ways Studios, and it'll come up. I will also have links on our website, which is www.wickedfellow.com. Head over there and you can find links to our YouTube playlists, to our podcast, to all of our websites and contact information if you want to reach out to me. And I want to have a quick note before I get into this week. I realized last week that I do actually own a Wicked Ways Studio Gmail account. I never use it. I've never used it and I've never put it out there as this is how you contact me. I think I secured that username when I first started the studio and it was just to sign up for things. And that was going to be my business account. And at some point I lost access to it and forgot about it. Like I literally forgot that I had it. 
And I was reminded when someone said that they emailed something to me recently and I didn't have it in my inbox. So we discussed and they said, oh, well, I sent it to Wicked Ways Studio at Gmail. And I said, well, that's great, but that's not my address. And I actually had to stop and think, you know, do I have a Wicked Ways Studio? It's, I should. Even if I don't use it, I should go secure that name. And it turns out that that username was taken and it was taken by me. I had just completely forgotten about it. I was able to backdoor my way into it because I still had access to the confirmation email, et cetera. And what I found was 30 or 40 emails that people had sent me over the last four years that I never saw, which is really hard for me because I try hard to get back to people when they write me. And some of these emails were, you know, very heavy personal things that someone had told me and then never heard back from me, which, which sucks. I did go through and answer all those emails saying, Hey, you know, I'm very sorry, but I never saw this email until today. My contact information is at my website at wickedfellow.com. But if you reach out to me and you never hear back, most likely I never saw it. Make sure that you're sending the stuff where I can see it, either on Instagram, the contact links on my website, etc. But I don't just ignore people. You know, I'll give you some response for what you've sent. Usually as much detail and as depth as I can, but I don't ignore my fans. So for those people who wrote to my old email address, I'm very sorry, but it was, it was not something that I put out there publicly. I think people just associated it with my Gmail. So there's that. I want to start this series, since I am a dominant, by kind of giving a full disclosure on my own personal philosophy on being a dominant. Because unlike subs, which I can be fairly objective about, dominance I'm very subjective about, you know, the way I think it should be versus the way other people play. And I want to make sure that my own prejudices, my own biases aren't reflected in the way that I talk about the other dominant types. So I think a good way to do that is by saying, hey, this is the way I play and use that to inform you know, the rest of the conversation on the way I talk about other dominance and other dominant styles. Domination is one of those things that I do feel very comfortable being critical of when I see it being done poorly or dangerously. And it's very important to remember that I'm not saying that a style of domination is bad. I'm not going to say that being a primal dom is worse than being a gentleman dom. That has nothing to do with it. You can have a bad gentleman dom and a bad primal dom. When I'm talking about bad dominant behavior, I'm talking about the toxic traits that I see in some dominance and how that is very harmful to their subs and to the community as a whole. So you will hear more criticism coming from me about, you know, hey, don't do this don't be this kind of dom. And that's, again, not talking about the style of domination you have. Any of the dominant styles can exhibit these toxic traits. Unlike when I was talking about subs, talking peer-to-peer -peer with doms, I am going to be a bit more straightforward and a lot more unforgiving of bad practices as I see them. As I make that statement, I want to reiterate the importance of being open-minded and accepting an understanding of kinks that aren't your own kinks. In the BDSM kink poly family, everybody else is against us. And it is so important that we take care of our own. You know, if you are involved in any nature of kink, any nature of BDSM, or you're a poly person, the rest of the world is either indifferent to you or they're not your friend. And more of them are not your friend than are indifferent. 
it is so important that we don't then turn around and start throwing stones at each other. And as I expected, you know, Switch in BDSM isn't hugely controversial, but it is one of those things that people have strong opinions about. I had pretty strong opinions about, and my opinions were ignorant and uninformed. I didn't really believe that switches were a thing. I, in my heart, I thought, you know, switches are just subs that like to play dress up sometimes. And that's not true. It's just wrong. And it was ignorant of me to think that way and feel that way. But I learned, and that's the key. You can learn too. So I did get some feedback on the switches part of my last podcast. And some people saying, for instance, I could never be with a dom who was a switch because they're not really a dom. So full stop, yes, they are a dom. They may not be your kind of dom, and that's fine. So you see the distinction there? You may not want to be with a primal dom, or you may not want to be with a gentleman dom, or a very sadistic dom. That style of domination isn't for you. That's fine. That doesn't mean that those other dominants aren't real dominance. You know, that real with quotation marks dominance. Because you don't get to decide that. If they feel that way in themselves, if they have those dominant feelings, if they have those dominant personality traits and tendencies, it's not for you to decide that they're not really a dom. Because you don't want them saying that you're not really a sub. You know who you are. They know who they are. And I have learned and I have grown and I've realized that, yeah, some people are very genuinely, fluidly switchy. You know, sometimes they are very dominant and they have very strong dominant tendencies and they need to be dominant. So there's the key. They need to be dominant. It's not something they just decided one day. It's part of their personality that needs to be expressed. And other times they need to be submissive and that needs to be expressed. You know, for some people, it's an easy transition back and forth. Some days they're feeling more dominant than they are, you know, submissive. Don't look down on people that have a different style of kink than you do or play a different way than you do. It's very easy to be in this kinky world and look at somebody else's kink and say, you know, ooh, gross, I don't want to do that. Fine, don't. Don't, don't do it. But do not disparage other people in the community for being different than you, right? That's my message in this. So yeah, I will be, you know, very hard on some styles of domination, some bad habits and toxic traits that I see in domination, but it has nothing to do with the style of dominant, whether it's a switch dominant, primal dominant, gentleman dominant, general purpose dominant, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So the other side of that toxicity coin would be subs saying a switchy dominant isn't a real dominant. And don't do that. They may not be your kind of dominant. Totally fine. But leave your criticism there. You know, it's not for you. Done. But, you know, we all have a lot we're carrying. And we don't need other people in our community attacking us because we don't play the same way they do. So that's my you know, Mr. Rogers statement of the week. So my own personal Dom philosophy, you know, what do I value in being a dominant? Why am I a dominant? What do I get out of being a dominant? Those are frequently asked questions I get. I think what do you get out of being a dominant is probably the number one question I get asked by people who write into Instagram or on Reddit or anywhere else. And that is they understand 
what being a sub is about because that's them. You know, most of the people that write me in this nature are subs. Occasionally, doms do reach out to me for advice or to say, hey, you know, I enjoy your work. But doms kind of by their nature are fairly kind of lone wolf, go it your own way type. So they don't tend to reach out to other doms for advice, number one. They don't really go to other doms to see how they do it and watch what they're doing, you know, to learn. And that can be, I think that's a weakness in some doms. I think that the inability to say, this other person has more experience in this thing than I do. So I want to learn from them. That doesn't make you any less dominant than before you said that. In fact, which I think is a very crucial tip to being a dominant, confidence obviously is a big part of being a dominant, right? False confidence, overconfidence is the major weakness of most dominance that I see. The inability to say, I don't know. The inability to say, I was wrong. The inability to say, I need to learn, right? That's not a strength. Not being able to learn is not a strength. Not being able to admit when you're wrong is not a strength. And none of us are perfect, I promise you. I am far from perfect and it's very important for me to examine myself, recognize my mistakes and my flaws and work on them. That is a dominant trait. Self-governance, mastery of the self, that is a dominant trait. I don't have somebody that I can go to that will hold me accountable because I'm the top of my particular pyramid. So it's very important that I have self-governance over myself. Self-governance means self-reflection, understanding my weaknesses, understanding who I am as a dominant, how I can be a better dominant, what mistakes I've made as a dominant. That's all part of being a dominant to me. And the inability to recognize your own flaws, the inability to take criticism, the inability to learn from others. Some people may see that as a dominant trait, and it can be, you know, often I see that more as a dominant side effect. You know, people who are very confident and very self-assured and very sure of who they are and sure that their way is the right way, that can be the makings of a good dominant. That can also be the makings of a stubborn, ignorant person who refuses to change and learn and grow. And I would say one is a good trait and one is a bad trait across the spectrum of humanity. So there's a big difference between being confident and being willfully ignorant. That's, a, that's an important one. If you're refusing to learn, if you're refusing to seek out information and better yourself, you're falling on the willful ignorance side, which is an ugly trait in anybody, especially in a dom, I feel. I have a personal motto. It's partly a joke and it's partly very, very true. And the Latin, uh, you'll have to pardon my Latin, is aliquando errare, numquam indubium, which translates to occasionally wrong, but never in doubt. And that is very true of my personality. I'm very sure. I'm very decisive. I am occasionally wrong. I will think I know something. And you can't just tell me, hey, you're wrong about that. I will listen to you, but you have to prove it to me. You have to show me. You have to show me from authority I respect. And that authority that I respect may be you, but I may need more than your word on it. 
And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad trait for anybody. I think it's a weakness if you will not listen to anybody despite their expertise, which is something that we're seeing a lot of in our society right now is people thinking that they know more about medicine because they did a Google search than someone that went to medical school. That is a very clear example of willful ignorance to me. Sure, you can go to Google and you can look stuff up. You can do your research, but that doesn't grant you the expertise of someone that has broad-based study in that area. You know, and don't assume that you know more than someone because you did a five-minute Google search. So for me, you can tell me you're wrong about X and here's why. And I will listen to you. My first response when someone tells me I'm wrong is not to get my back up. It's not to get upset and angry with them or shut them down. You have piqued my interest. I want to know because I have the confidence to be wrong. I have the confidence to go, I was wrong. I thought that word meant this. And you have shown me that that word means this. And now I have learned something that doesn't take anything away from who I am as a person or as a dominant. Some people will see dominance as I can't be wrong. This word means this. I'm sure of it. And no power on earth can change my mind. That's not dominant behavior. According to me, according to me, dominant behavior is saying I was wrong about that. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for showing me. So that's a big part of my dominant philosophy is the willingness to learn, the willingness to reflect on yourself, see who you are as a person, understand your flaws and weaknesses and what you know and don't know. You know, there's a lot of things in BDSM that I have done. And I've made the broad statement that I've done everything. It's not entirely true. There are some kinks that I'm just not interested in or that don't appeal to me or that I haven't had the opportunity to practice, even if they are interesting to me. So I've done suspension bondage. I've done quite a bit of suspension bondage. I am comfortable with suspension bondage. I could teach a pretty good class on suspension bondage, but I am by far from the best suspension bondage artist in the world. I'm not even the best suspension bondage artist in this town. And I know that because I've seen other people's work. And I look at it and go, wow, that's really good. That's better than I can do. Your vision for how to suspend this person and the intricacy of your rope work is better than I can do. Does that make me less of a dominant? And that's the key. I think so many doms are afraid of ever showing any weakness, of ever showing any kind of failing or ignorance or anything besides this front of infallibility. And that can be a big weakness in a dom. If you're a dominant and happen to be listening to this, examine yourself. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you're probably not one of those kind of doms because, you know, this is a dom talking about BDSM stuff. That's not a very popular podcast for other doms to listen to. So if you're here and you're a dominant person, awesome. And, you know, I really appreciate that and good on you for being courageous enough to listen to somebody else and their opinion, whether you agree with it or not. So just as I was saying, you know, I recognize that I have a certain level of skill in suspension bondage. I recognize that there are other people that are way better at it than I am. So if I wanted to learn, I would go to them. I would study their work. I would watch their sessions and see how they do it. That's how you get better. You can also self-improve. 
And so for me, I'm big on self-improvement. I have a lot of various skills. There's a lot of things that I can do at a pretty good level. Almost all of them I have learned on my own. Some of that, especially in the time before YouTube, meant just banging my head against a brick wall until I figured it out for myself. But there's this amazing thing called YouTube and Reddit too. And you can find a huge knowledge base for free. Many people who are willing to help and share their knowledge. What the YouTube self-directed learner needs is discernment because you'll find a lot of bad advice on YouTube and Reddit and all over the internet, and you'll have it mixed in with the good advice. So someone will tell you, oh, to make this program work, all you need to do is X. That might work and it might not. You kind of have to figure out for yourself, do they know what they're talking about? Can they show me that it's working for them? I frequently had this problem just recently in trying to get my camera to work properly. And I did the stupid thing of trying to figure it out myself and beating myself against a brick wall until I just gave up in frustration because I had searched YouTube for this particular problem and I'd gotten no results. A lot of people thought they had the answer, but it didn't work for me. And I searched Reddit and the very first post that came up, several of the comments were very similar to what I'd seen on YouTube and did not help my situation. But the very last comment, the guy said, oh, all you have to do is this. And I thought it can't be that simple. It was. His solution solved it for me. And it was a solution I would not have come up with on my own. Does that make me any less dominant that I found help online from somebody else? Nope. It made me less dominant to think that I could figure it out on my own because I have some experience with these programs. You know, that I'm going to go it alone and figure it out myself. That is baked into me as a person. And I have to overcome that. I have to learn how to ask for help. I have to learn how to seek out the expertise of others. And that's something I have to do daily. I'm much better at it now than when I was younger, but I still have a long way to go. Last night being a good example. That's a big part of my personal Dom philosophy. You know, are you able to learn? Are you able to admit weakness? Are you able to examine yourself closely and recognize your own flaws and failings. That's a big part of what I value as a dominant. My personal style, this ties back into, you know, what do I get out of being a dominant? Which is a great question because for me, it's very simple, but I can't answer this for all dominance because everybody's going to have a different reason and a different motivation and a different joy or need or desire in their dominant lifestyle and personality. But for me, it's very simple. It's the same thing that a teacher gets from teaching their students. You know, yeah, they get a salary, but I think we know that being a teacher is a very hard job and it's not compensated appropriately for the importance and level of difficulty. So very few people go into teaching for the money, right? I don't think that's a untrue statement. Well, being a dominant doesn't pay for the most part. There is such a thing as being a professional dominant. There are few and far between in the world, but they do exist. So some people, they may do it because they have a monetary gain for the vast bulk of you out there. And for me, I don't make any money being a dominant. So what is it that I get out of it? The fulfillment for me is that I enjoy teaching people, guiding people, leading people, and 
that journey, the journey of taking someone from point A to point B under my direction and watching them grow and watching them become more self-assured and better and happier, that is very fulfilling to me. I take a lot of pride in that. It makes me feel good to do that, to be the one leading someone from point A to point B. And for me, being a Dom is a leadership position. It's a leadership followership position for me. Other people, it's going to be very different. And one of the things that I wanted to mention earlier, and I, I'll try to insert this now, is that there's kind of two major streams of domination. One would be episodic play, and one is relationship-based play. So an episodic-based play for domination, it's a limited engagement, and the relationship side is usually not there. So if someone goes to a rigor to be tied up for that night, that is usually the beginning and end of that relationship. They may do it many times. They may go back to them every week to get tied up. But if they don't have a DS relationship outside of the rope play, that's an episodic domination. So a rigger is a dom. They're the person in control of the scene. They're the person doing the action to someone else who is receiving the action. And some riggers will go very far with their DS relationship with the person being tied. Other times they do not. You know, it is very cut and dry. I'm tying you up, but I don't have any other control over you. So that's one form of episodic dom play. On the other style of dom play is the relationship-based dom style. And that's where you have a lasting and durable relationship with a submissive. And it's more than just the scenes. So you can have all different kinds of scenes. You may do rope play. You may do impact play. You may do dress-up play. All the styles of play are open to you. But it's the relationship that is woven in between those scenes. The day-to-day -day relationship. That's relationship style domination. And that's what I do. I don't do very much episodic domination. I've done some, but for the most part, my domination is relationship based. And that's what fulfills me. That's what I'm interested in. So in the relationship style domination that I do, it is very important to me to have a goal in mind for my submissives. Since we play at a very high level and a very complete style of play, that's kind of a total life goal. You know, it's very easy to set individual goals. Say your submissive wants to get better at running. You can help them design a running plan and help keep them accountable to that running plan. That's an easy goal. That's something that is very cut and dry. There's good metrics for it. You can say you were two minutes faster this week than you were last week. Good job. Now we're going to increase your interval pace. You know, that's easy. That's like being a coach. Coach, team member, very dom-sub relationship there. You'll see that this is reflected in humanity, which is why I think so many people have this natural inclination towards dominance and submission. Not everybody's a submissive, not everybody's a dominant. And when you try to force people into the wrong role, it doesn't work for them. They don't feel good about it. I covered that a lot when I was first talking about submission, that in America, people are very alpha dominant oriented and anybody that's not alpha and dominant is seen as lesser which is stupid and it's very harmful to people who are naturally submissive to force them into that dominant role because they're not going to be happy there it's not going to work well for them they're plenty happy and perfectly happy following somebody that they know and trust that's a good human quality 
forcing someone that would rather follow to lead doesn't make them better. I don't think that being a dominant is better than being a submissive. It's different than being a submissive. And you can have different without better or worse. Here's a surprise. Chocolate and vanilla, they don't have to be better than one another. They can be different. You can like them both equally, but they're very different. And people who will force you to choose, you have to choose one. Why? No, I don't. I can have both. And that is the beautiful thing about life. You can often have both. You don't often have to choose. Sorry, little tangent there. The relationship style domination can be seen as a coach. I often describe myself as a life coach with a crop. And that is very accurate. Because a lot of my day-to-day -day domination is not scene-based. I enjoy scenes. They can be fun and exciting. But I do far less scenes with my subs than either of them would like, partly because we all live scattered across the country, but also because the scene is an accessory to my BDSM play. The primary part of my BDSM play is that day-to-day -day relationship. And for me, you know, taking care of my subs needs day-to-day, -day, being the person that they're accountable to, being the person they can come to when they need advice or comfort or to talk. That is very fulfilling to me. That's what I enjoy about being a dominant. That's a role that feels natural and fulfilling. And that's the key. Why do we do anything? Because it makes us feel good. You can be kind of cynical about human nature and say that every human action is selfishly motivated and you would be very hard pressed to prove that wrong. You know, a lot of people who are much smarter than I am have written books on this. And from my own understanding of human nature, I find it to be true. You know, why do you give your pet a treat? Because it makes you feel good. Your dog is not going to like you any less if you don't give them a treat. But giving them a treat makes them happy. You see that. And as an empathetic human being, seeing them happy makes you happy. So there's nothing wrong with giving your dog a treat because it makes you happy. But be careful of kind of patting yourself on the back and feeling like you're an amazing person because you gave your dog a treat. Your dog's going to love you either way. Your dogs, dogs are better people than we'll ever be. And you don't ever have to give a dog a treat for it to love you. Pet on the head is just fine. They like that. The treat is for us. That's why the cat treats have tasty sounding, you know, grilled filet -o fish with sage. My cat can't read. Can yours? It's marketed to us. We think, oh, well, that sounds tasty to me. I'm sure my pet would also like that. Just as the marketing is to us, the giving of the treat is also for us. It makes us feel good. Question. You go to a birthday party and you know you're expected to bring a gift. Why do you bring a gift? One of two reasons. It's either a disincentive or an incentive. The incentive is buying a gift for someone and giving it to them and seeing them enjoy it makes you feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's ultimately a selfish motivation, but there's nothing wrong with it. That's a very positive and benign selfishness. You may also get them a gift because you don't want to feel bad. You don't want to show up and not have a gift and see them be disappointed or see other people disappointed in you that you didn't bring a gift. And you don't want to feel that way. So that's the disincentive. You don't want to feel bad. So you bring a gift or you want to feel good. So you bring a gift. And that's, 
you know, the world isn't usually that black and white, but there's not a whole lot of gray there. Sometimes there is. Sometimes you get something for someone that you don't really want to do. You know you don't have to, but you do it anyway because you're trying to be a good person. Like, yeah, I know it gets complicated. I know that nothing in life is strictly black and white. But look at your own actions and examine yourself, understand yourself. Think about why you do things. Are you doing it because of a disincentive or an incentive? And most of the time, everything we do will fall into that. So my incentive for taking care of my subs, it makes me feel good. When I'm able to help them, it makes me feel good. When I get that call at three o'clock in the morning, because one of my subs is upset and really needs to talk to me, I don't get angry at all. I feel very good about that because it shows that they trust me and they rely on me. And in their time of need, who did they reach out to? Me. That makes you feel very good. That is a very good feeling. I want to be that person. And having a dom-sub relationship like this is a way for me to fulfill that need in my life. My goal, my overarching goal for my subs is for them to be happy, calm, and confident. You know, we've talked about getting tattoos and they may end up showing up with happy, calm, confident tattoos someday because that's what I want. I want them to be happy. I want them to be calm and confident. Now, confident and submissive may seem like oxymoronic, but it's, it's really not. There's nothing wrong with being a confident submissive because what are you confident in, right? I want them to be confident in our relationship. I want them to be confident of their own nature. I want them to be confident that they're making the right choices, right? And that they're following the right leadership. You can be a confident sub. You can be a happy and calm sub too. And that's what I, that's my goal, my overarching goal. Both of my subs have many small goals that I'm working on, many things in their life that I've recognized as weaknesses or that they've recognized as weaknesses or that we've collaborated together on and said, hey, sir, I would like your help with this. Most of the time, it's me looking at them and saying they could be better in this way. And then I develop a plan of action for how to fix that. Sometimes that plan of action is very gradual and it takes time. Sometimes it's more immediate and it's do this thing now. That's up to me. That's my responsibility as the leader in the relationship to decide what is important. What's the priority? Is this something we need to work on right now? Or is this something that can wait? Something that dominants need to be very careful about is overloading their submissives on the front end of things. If someone's doing 12 things wrong, focus on fixing the most important thing first. If you try to fix all 12 things at the same time, it's not going to work. They're not going to learn and it's going to frustrate you. So for me, there is a triaging of sub problems. If there's 12 things they're doing wrong, what's the most important thing they're doing wrong? What's the harmful thing? What's the thing that's going to damage our relationship? You know, forgetting to say, sir, that is very important. But it's not the most important thing that I'm working on with a new submissive. So it's very individual. It's going to be tailored directly to what they need. But I tend to be a one at a time kind of person. And I will institute my rules with my sub, my hard and fast rules, the unbreakable rules, 
one at a time. Katja has been with me for four years now. Katja has four rules because we've been working on those four rules for the last four years. And she will not get another rule until I am sure she has mastered those first four rules because they're important to me. And I believe that they are the crucial rules of our relationship. We will get into those. And I want to have a breakdown conversation with Katya. I think that would be very helpful to have her in here to talk about how our particular relationship works. Getting back to my philosophy on submission. You know, again, I consider myself a relationship-based dom. The relationship is what is important to me. I consider myself a life coach style dom. And if you were to categorize me, I consider myself a gentleman dom, which is a bit self-aggrandizing. You know, I come from a very poor background. I'm not anybody's idea of wealthy. To me, gentleman dom is more of a mindset. And we're going to break down the different styles of domination. You know, so I'm not a primal dominant. I'm a gentleman dominant. And that's kind of compare and contrast of different styles of domination. And we will get into that. Um, but yeah, I consider myself a gentleman dom and a relationship-based gentleman dom. So I hope that leaves you wanting more. I hope I didn't get too into the weeds with some of the topics I was talking about. I wanted this to be off the cuff and direct to you guys. I did not script this one per se. I've been thinking about it a lot over the last week as to what I was going to talk about. And I have hit the major points that were important to me. Next week, we're going to continue this conversation that we might do a Q&A if I get a lot of questions from this one. Otherwise, I will go into defining dominance. You know, what makes a dominant? What kind of person is a dominant? And the different styles of domination, just like we did with the submissive episodes. A brief business note. Last week, I said that no news is good news, which is true because this week we've had a setback in that ex-hamster has started taking down our videos, which is a very bad thing, especially because X-Hamster actually reached out to me individually. They sent me a Twitter message once saying, hey, why don't you come over to our platform? And in that conversation with the representative, I said, well, I'm interested in that. However, here's my problem. Our videos are being taken down from Pornhub for being too rough. And I don't wanna just have that same problem with you would you look at our videos and see if you would take them down? And the response from that representative was, no, your videos will be fine here. We will not take them down. As you can imagine, uh, that is rather ironic now as X Hamster has started taking down our videos. I'm hoping it's something I can work with them about. I'm hoping this is not Pornhub all over again. And I'm hoping that the several messages that I've sent to them will be answered. So far, they have not. It's been about a week now. I will say that X Hamster is very slow about getting back to me on anything. They've never been fast. So I still have hope that I'll get the situation worked out with them. X Videos doesn't seem to have any problems. They, they've never taken our stuff down for being too rough anyway. Uh, they also pay a lot less, but I will deal with that. I'd rather have my stuff up and making less money than have it taken down and losing money. So I'm not giving up the ship, but that is a setback and that is frustrating that we're facing the same thing on X Hamster of them pulling down our videos. Um, specifically, they said that the model passed out in the video, which they did not. It's just not true. At the very end of the video, the model is exhausted and lays her head down on the bed, but she's still moving as the camera fades out. 
So apparently someone reported it, and instead of actually looking at the video, they just pulled it down and gave me a warning saying that if I continue to upload videos where models pass out, I'll have my account suspended. I didn't. I have made a new edit of that video that shows the complete aftercare scene. And it shows from the time that the old one ended all the way through to where we talk about consent and safe words and the importance of aftercare. Obviously, I wish I had included that the first time around because it might have kept this video from getting pulled down. However, we made that video way back in the day and it didn't seem as important to me then to include that. And that, in fact, I thought a lot of people would not like having that in our videos as it would break the illusion of these rough scenes. That was just a bad idea on my part because A, I think that it is very important to educate people about aftercare and the fact that these are scenes. You know, we make rough videos, but they're scenes, they're consensual scenes. And showing the aftercare, showing that, okay, so this is over now, and now I'm going to take care of this person. I think it's worth breaking the scene for people or breaking the illusion for people. And perhaps I can have a, a space, I can have a, this is gonna be aftercare. So if you wanna pretend that this was a really rough scene, stop now. I'm hoping that they will allow me to re-upload that video and show them that the model did not pass out and that I did not upload illegal content. But right now I have not heard anything back from them. So it is what it is. Other than that, everything is fine. I have some really exciting news, especially the Kacha video front. There will be more Kacha videos coming out soon because Apple has just released an automatic tracking plug-in for Final Cut, which may sound like technical gobbledygook, but what it means is that I don't have to hand keyframe the face blurring on Kacha's videos. Kacha's videos have to be blurred. They're always gonna be blurred but I used to have to do it by hand. And it could literally take 12 hours to do that by hand for a Kacha video. So obviously, if I can make a Lavender video in five hours or a Kacha video in 18 hours because of the 12 hours of keyframing, I'm gonna make a Lavender video. But if this system works and it works as well as I've tested it out to be, I will be able to produce a lot more Kacha videos because I can let the computer do the bulk of the face blurring. I'll still have to go in and check it and adjust, but the fact that it works pretty flawlessly is amazing. So good news for you Katja fans, you will be seeing more videos of her if this program works as well as I think it will. All right, I have gone on for quite some time and I still have to work out tonight. So remember that consent is king, take good care of each other, be especially kind and empathetic and understanding of people in the kink community. If you're in the kink community, let's not, let's not tear each other down. I think we need all the help we can get. And I will see you next week. <laughs>